you know, it felt really satisfying to feel that you inspired somebody to take your idea and they could see it on film. They could see it coming to life. And the second thing was the music. That actually made me tear up when all of a sudden, again, something you made up in your head that only had life in your head and your heart. You're trying to find the words to put on the page or trying to make it come alive with words. And I can't add music and I can't add pictures to the story other than what I do with words. And here was a score. Here they were playing music and people were dancing. It was really a powerful moment. We'll talk about this and much more today. Welcome to a Writer's Day podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast. My name is Ruth Douthit, and I'm an award-winning author of books for middle grade readers. And I started this podcast a few years ago to talk about writing, to provide writing tips, and to interview published authors. And this year, I am collaborating with author Todd M. Johnson, who wrote the beautiful book, The Barrister and the Letter of Mark. He and I are collaborating to bring you this series, When the Arts Collide. We thought it was fascinating to see how authors collaborate with book cover designers, with editors, and audiobook readers to make their stories come alive for the readers. And in today's episode, we're super excited to start this series with the prolific, award-winning, best-selling author, Rachel Hauk. And she talks with us about her book, Once Upon a Prince, and when it was made into a feature film that aired on Hallmark. What was that experience like? Well, she's going to discuss that with us today. So welcome. She is the New York Times USA Today best-selling author who writes from sunny central Florida. A multi-award winning author and best-selling author whose book The Wedding Dress just sold its 500,000th copy. Congratulations to Rachel. Wow, what an accomplishment. She loves to hear from readers and she also loves to encourage new writers. So we are super excited to have beginning this series, When the Arts Collide, the incomparable Rachel Hauk. So you know the drill. Grab your favorite beverage, a comfortable chair, kick back and relax as we listen to Rachel talk about her recent experience of turning Once Upon a Prince into a Hallmark movie. Hello, everyone. Welcome to my podcast. This is a really exciting day for me because we're trying something different here at a Writer's Day podcast. For the first time ever, I have a guest host with me, Todd M. Johnson. Say hello, Todd. Uh, Hello. And today we are going to be interviewing best-selling award-winning author Rachel Hout about her experience taking one of her books to film. And I know she has spoken on my podcast before about it, but today we are starting our project when arts collide. And so Todd, why don't you explain to my listeners a little bit about this project? Well, the notion is that uh, uh, what, what kinds of artists, what kinds of talents are brought to bear to enhance the written word, the the word that the author uh, lays down and depicts in their, in their books. And, 
And Ruth and I discussed uh, how interesting it would be to talk to people like cover artists, illustrators, uh, readers of the book for Audible, uh, those sorts of people who bring their talents uh, to enhance the written word and, uh, uh, and, and bring it in some different form to the reader. And we also thought we would love to speak to someone who has experience with screenplay adaptations with the same goal in mind. Fantastic. And that's what led us to Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about your writing story, and then we'll go into your experience of taking one of your books to film. I was first published in uh, 2004 with a little category romance. Then I moved on to trade fiction with Thomas Nelson, which is now HarperCollins Christian Fiction. And I was with them for 15 years. And then I did a little bit of indie work. And I recently joined the Bethany House um, publishing team and have a book coming out from them in 2023. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So way back when, um, tell us a little bit about what happened that allowed one of your books to be made into a movie. How did that come about? Well, I was really super blessed because Thomas Nelson's licensing department, and for everybody who doesn't know what that is, that they're the group that gets your books into audio, um, does the foreign translation deals, and they had a movie licensing person, someone who knew the Hollywood a little bit, knew people in the industry. Her name was Kat Zappa, and she was actually Frank Zappa's niece. And <laughs> so she had some connections out in Hollywood, and they were pitching our ideas to various people in Hollywood. There was somebody named Mara Dunbar of Engage Entertainment who had already done Beverly Lewis's books into movies. And so she was just determined that this was good art, good story, and she was going to work her way through them. You know, she told me every Christian author and have one of their books put into film. Of course, that was ambitious, but I, I loved her heart. And so she bought some titles off of Thomas Nelson for, for Denise Hunter. And then they read Once Upon a Prince, and they said, we got to make this into a movie. And so that's that was how it really began. It was nothing of my own doing other than my own prayers, <laughs> asking God, is this possible? But, yeah, I got a call. I was actually at a American Library Association event, and they walked up to me and said, we have a surprise for you. And it was a surprise. And, Todd, do you have a question? Yeah, Rachel, I was wondering, um, okay, you've now they, they now want to make your book into a movie. How do they go about it? How do, how, what is your involvement? What is the involvement of any other uh, writer in the screenplay adaptation? Okay, in that world, and this is like the sweet movie world, the Hallmark world, and it's pretty much the same in the Lifetime world. If your book gets optioned from Harlequin, there are several love-inspired authors who've had their books optioned into movies, and one of them didn't even know her book was – she didn't even know the movie was coming out. She just <laughs> – she just knew it was option. It's like, oh, she got paid. So she know it must have been produced and got to be coming out because you don't get paid until they start producing the movie. So so for me, it was no no involvement whatsoever. I just knew it was happening. I did not read the screenplay. I did not have any input into the screenplay. About um, two weeks before they started filming, I was told they're starting filming. Um, when do you want to go on set? And so I, I just said real quick, oh, the ballroom scene. And they said, got it. So I had to pay my own way out to Victoria, British Columbia to be on set. But, you know, like I would have gone into debt to do that. <laughs> like it was super fun. When do you ever get to be on a movie set? And so I got to meet the cast and the crew. Super great people at Engage Entertainment, Mara Dunbar and that director Alex Wright treated me like royalty for a, a day and a half. I actually got to be in the movie 
as well. So it was an extra in the ballroom scene. I know Denise Hunter has been into some, in some crowd scenes in some of her movies as well. But as far as like, hey, do you like the script? Do you like what we're doing? No involvement whatsoever. But I will counter that with my book, The Wedding Dress, was option, is optioned by Brainpower uh, Productions out of Toronto. And I've actually read that script. And, and after I read it, we actually had some dialogue about some ideas that she had on enhancing the script. And I was able to really kind of brainstorm with her, um, with the producer, on what they were thinking about ways to improve the script. Um, I don't know where that process is at yet right now, but that was kind of fun to have a little bit of input for that particular script. Did you find that they had altered the story when they had to condense it for time or were they able to keep it as much true to the book as possible? For me, Once Upon a Prince was very true to the book, which I felt kind of, you know, a little feather in my cap. I just thought, well, I gave them enough that they could keep my story. Um, I had other story points. I always have a supernatural character that kind of brings in a little bit of the, the spiritual thread. And of course, they didn't keep her because there wasn't space for her. And she really wasn't necessary to the type of stories that Hallmark tells. They used a lot of my motivational points. Uh, they did condense my character. She was actually worked as a waitress at, waitress at her parents' rib shack. And they condensed that for the point of the story into a like a landscaping business because my character was a landscape architect, which I thought was brilliant really because you don't have enough time for her to go back and forth between the two jobs. And so for the sake of the story, the pacing of the movie, but in the book, the prince ends up working at the rib shack. In the movie, he ends up working at their landscaping company. So he ends up helping her out in her job, which is was the whole point of a way to get them together. And then she finds out on the internet that he's a prince and she didn't know it in the movie. In the book, she sees his name on the back of a coin that someone mm-hmm. threw into a tip jar. She's, but either way, it was a surprise. And so all of, they kept a lot of my motivations and, and a lot of the pacing and the timing. The beginning was the same, the ending was the same. Um, it was really It was really cool to see actually. Rachel, I know that sometimes it's hard as a writer to uh, cut prose that you've worked on, you know, just because it's appropriate to do so or an editor suggests. Was it painful for you at all to see certain scenes or certain characters uh, shortened or cut out to make the film? No, not at all. And I anticipated that. And I had a conversation with Denise Hunter beforehand about what it would feel like to see your film, your story, you know, kind of through the eyes of the screenwriter and through the eyes of the filmmaker and for me, I was just super impressed. I, I was just glad that they saw life in my story. And I knew that they wouldn't be able to bring all of the pieces forward. So I was braced for that. I was just glad that they found so many good qualities in my story that they were able to translate to film. Like, for example, um, the prince has to go back and become the king. And Susanna, the heroine, she's back home at St. Simon's Island, Georgia. Well, in the book... His brother, who is not in the story, by the way, his brother says to his mother, you want Nathaniel to see if she's really for him? You want to prove that she's not? Get her over here. He'll see her in our world and understand right away she's not going to fit in. So that was the motivation in the movie, only it was an assistant who said it to the queen instead of the brother. It didn't bother me who said it. I was just glad that that motivation worked for them as movie makers as well as it worked for me as a novelist. I mean, you have a lot of fans of The Wedding Dress. It's a beloved book. Do you feel that the script right now is kind of respecting the fans and what they 
have come to expect it from this story that they're keeping the fans in mind? Yeah, I thought the script did. I was actually surprised. And then, as you guys know, there's the, if you've read the book, there's the Purple Man. He's kind of the supernatural character who kind of connects 1912 and 2012 together. In the book, um, or in, in the screen, he was not in the screenplay, but when we discussed changes, she wanted a kind of a narrator. She felt the script called for a narrator. And I said, you got to use this guy. He's the guy that holds the two timelines together. And she was like, oh, you're right. Um, we did talk about some other things. Uh, we were going to make a location change. And we talked about moving it from the south for various reasons for shooting location. If it's going to be in Toronto, it does not look anything like the south. Mm-hmm. But we talked about another city. And but it pulled right into some of the racial conflict that was in the, in the book from the South. We were able to pull up some, some various things in Philadelphia from back in the day that would work in the same way. So it would be true to the story that the heroine was fighting for justice for minorities in the book. She would also fight for them in the movie. So uh, I was happy with it, but we'll see what it, I don't know where it's at right now. So we'll see where it lands one day. Is this going to be for Hallmark as well? No, no, no. Um, I'm not sure. Well, more of a feature type film. Um, it, the you know the story, the wedding dress story doesn't fit the Hallmark format. So I'd be surprised if it was a Hallmark movie. That's true. Yeah. Okay. That you brought up setting though. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. If the author would be upset if the setting the producers chose was so different than the book's setting, uh, could the author put something in the contract saying that? you know, they insist it be here or something, or they have a voice in where it's going to be filmed? No, not at all. <laughs> Pretty much if you want your, I mean, if you start putting in those requirements, I think they'll say, well, we'll see you later. <laughs> uh, there is a funny story though about the Once Upon a Prince on Hallmark. In the opening scene, we see a shot of a Southern island, like St. Simon's Island. And then we see Susanna and her boyfriend, Adam, walking on the beach, breaking up. And then early on, there's this scene of a seal in the in the water barking <laughs> at people. And I saw it like twice and finally realized there's no seals on St. Simon's Island. <laughs> <laughs> so that was funny. But it's one of those things that nobody, I don't think anybody has mentioned to me. Like, are there seals on St. Simon's Island? You just kind of blow by it because you're more interested in the story. But that was funny. That is funny. <laughs> Rachel, was that? I, I'm just curious because I saw the difference. I've been to St. Simon's Island a number of times. Uh, I've been to uh, British Columbia as well, and I saw the the lighthouse did not look like the one on St. Simon's Island. Is that is that because it was? Were there none, no scenes that were filmed actually at St. Simon's for uh, uh, for the book? No, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. One of the things that really impacted me the most about being on set, not only just seeing all, all the movie stuff things. One of them was just the number of people filming something I made up in my head and heart, sitting in my office by myself day after day after day. Here's the here's the extras on the ballroom scene, 90 extras doing ballroom dancing. Here's a pretend orchestra. Here's the whole crew, the directors, the producers, you know, the director of photography, um, all of the people who keep track of what's going on another probably 40 people plus the actors i was like wow you know it felt really satisfying to feel that you inspired somebody to take your idea and they could see it on film they could see it coming to life and the second thing was the music Mm. that actually made me tear up 
when all of a sudden, again, something you made up in your head that only had life in your head and your heart, you're trying to find the words to put on the page, you're trying to make it come alive with words. And I can't add music and I can't add pictures to the story other than what I do with words. And here was a score. Here they were playing music and people were dancing. It was really a powerful moment. And I did text Denise Hunter and I'm like, you didn't I said, you didn't tell me this was going to be emotional. And she goes, oh, yeah, it's going to be emotional. Oh, I can see that. That So so the music is a way that the uh, the, the visual medium, you know, the, the, the film can kind of profoundly uh, add layers to what you've written. Oh, yeah. Very, 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 very much so. They can add things that we can't. You know, they give voice. They give life that and it, and it doesn't matter if you think oh that's not how i pictured the character in the book if they're good actors they make those characters come alive was there one performance or another that particularly stood out i don't want you to have to take favorites but i'm just curious um wow that's a good question there's i think still in my mind and i was on set for this one when he first teaches her how to do a little ballroom dancing and it's just the two of them in the mm -hmm. ballroom by themselves I think that's a really great scene. It was a really special scene. Yeah. And I felt the actors at that moment where they just themselves were a little bit more vulnerable <laughs> going through it um, than they were in some of the other scenes. Um, like the end ballroom scene was funny because her dress was too long. So she kept stepping on her dress. So she kept calling, <laughs> cut, cut. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that was fun. Uh, but they were super nice, especially um, Jonathan Kelty was super nice. So what advice do you have for authors who are writing their books and would hope to one day see one of their stories become a film. What advice do you have for them? I would advise you not to write your book thinking, oh, I'm going to put this in because it'll work in a script. Write your story. Be true to your story. Live your story. You know, write the best possible story you can. Make it come alive to you. You live your story. The reader will live your story. And any producer who happens to get a hold of it will also live your story. And I, I feel like that's one of the things that worked for me was I see my stories. I do the best I can to pour myself into them. And, and this particular one, they just saw something in it that helped them produce it. And so I feel like that's the, that's the key is write a great story, write something that people are going to love, see it yourself, and then they'll be able to see it. So have you been tempted though, writing books after this experience to start dreaming again like hmm, maybe this one could be a movie and then you have to say no 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 don't do that don't do that <laughs> i always think i always think that i really do <laughs> um but but i don't write this i that's like like the wedding dress christmas it's a little novella it would be a super cute movie it's set up to be a, i mean it would it has all the elements of being a movie it doesn't have too much plot but it has i think enough plot i mean it's only forty thousand words but once I was writing it, I was into the characters in the story. I, I wasn't thinking like, ooh, what actress would play this part? Or, ooh, I, I wonder how this will look on script. Maybe I'll change it. I wasn't thinking that way at all. And I don't think any writer should because you want someone else to interpret your story and make it their own. So that's the fun part is make someone else sees your story and they make it their own. Mm, good point. Uh, you know, having said that, which of your books would you choose if you could choose any one of them to be made into the next film? Fifth Avenue Story Society, no doubt. I actually think it would be a good TV series. <laughs> that would be fun. So yeah, the library itself. When I read it, it just came alive. I'd love to see a director and a producer's interpretation of that. I would too. 
No, I would love to see the wedding dress make it all the way. I have two more books, The Wedding Shop and A March Bride have been optioned. I don't know where they're at. They were optioned right before. They were actually optioned last year in March, right before COVID. So COVID slowed down. the. Everybody in Hollywood's behind. All the film production companies are behind. And um, we did have someone reach out recently about the Fifth Avenue Story Society. I don't know where that's at. But it has a This Is Us kind of feel. Like all of the characters have this backstory that any writer could take and just have a field day with. Mm-hmm. Just take the hints of backstory that I've given them and they could just bring it alive any way they wanted to. So I think it'd be fun to see what someone would do with it. Do they approach your agent or do they come to the publisher or? Uh, usually they approach the agent or sometimes they go straight to the to the publisher if they have a relationship with the publisher and they're, you know, once once you've had a book made into a movie, people kind of keep their eye on you. But mm-hmm. um, again, that it's so out of your control as an author. I would say, please don't hang a lot of hope on that. It's a super fun thing that happens. And I will just say right out of the gate, it does not make you rich. <laughs> I'm just going to say out of the gate, I was probably paid more by the publisher for Once Upon a Prince for the book than I was paid, that I ended up with in my pocket for the movie. Mm-hmm. So, it, but but it was money that I wouldn't have had any other way. So I'm grateful for that. But but it, it doesn't make you rich um, unless you're like J.K. Rowling, who <laughs> has, you know, she's a billionaire from licensing. But you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a great thing to have happen, but it's not, it doesn't mean you're not a great writer if it doesn't. And it doesn't mean you're a super great writer if it does. It just, it's kind of the luck of the draw. Can I, can I step back to something a little more kind of micro for a moment? You know, your characters are always, uh, they're, they're stating things to one another out loud, but they're also thinking and they're, exp- and you're expressing their feelings right. too. How do you capture that in a, in you a screenplay? Don't. They write the screenplay and then they have to interpret it. And so hopefully the screenplay okay. does have some directional things to it. You know, Susanna comes in and she's feeling a little bit scared or she's feeling nervous or she's unsure. Um, and Susanna comes in, she's confident. And then the the actress or the actor has to make that happen. And again, that's fun for them to make the character come alive in their own mind. That's their job. I did it with words. You do it with your acting. <laughs> that's fantastic. Thank you so much. What are you working on now that we can look um, to? I'm working on a story called The Best Summer of Our Lives. And it's about four girls who were friends from ele- from kindergarten. And uh, they, they all have seasonal names. They're um, spring, summer, autumn, and snow. Her name is Margaret Snowden, but her nickname has always been Snow. And they walk into kindergarten, and the teacher says, well, I have the four seasons. And they became best friends all through high school. And they're about to go off to college together. They get in a little bit of trouble um, by dumping some soap into a pool. And they get signed to community service. And this is supposed to be, between high school and college, the best summer of their lives, you know, the last two raw. And instead of having fun and going to the beach and having pool parties, and it's set in 1977. And in 1977, at 18, you could drink, so they all will have some, some beer parties or whatever. Uh, they're sent to Tumbleweed, Oklahoma, with one of the mothers, to be camp counselors of this rebooted camp in the middle of nowhere. And it's just about, they all go out there with secrets, and it's about all those secrets coming to life, the impact of that on their friendship. And then there's a couple of scenes in 1997, 20 years later. What do they look like? What's happened to their friendship? And it's just the power of friendship and the power of, in a way, growing up and realizing that life is going to take you on different turns, but you can still love each other. Mm, so yeah. that's that. I'm having so much fun writing it, to tell you the truth. I'm just like spitting it out. And I've been thinking about this book for about a year and a half, two years. And I've just been chewing on it. And I feel like it's just been super fun to write it. I'll let you know how it is when I go back and start reading it. (laughs) And editing it. I might be like, "Uh uh-oh, I need to work here. 
And you're still doing work over there at My Book Therapy? Um, no, I haven't. I retired from My Book Therapy. I retired from um, the American Christian Fiction Writers Board. So I'm just um, fancy free right now. You're just <laughs> writing and having fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just right and having fun with it. I, I'm like getting up there in age and I'm like, I just want a little more spare time. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. And you've got a lot of stories to still write. Oh, plenty, 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 plenty. Rachel, can I ask how long it takes you to finish your average book? Um, usually I write the first draft in about three months and it's a spit it out draft. And then I rewrite it, uh, well, about six weeks. I'm sorry, about six weeks. Then I rewrite that. And then I take another month to polish that. So by the time I turn it in, it's gone through about three times, which is still in my mind a little rough. And then I get a rewrite, and then I take another month with that, and I probably go through that twice. And then maybe I do five weeks there. And then I usually get another small rewrite, just like in case I made major changes, because I a couple of times I made major changes, so they just started reading it again and sending it back to me one more time. And so I take another couple of weeks with that. So I like to rewrite about five to seven times, or seven to eight, eight times. And then, then I kind of, make small adjustments on line edits. I, I try to be careful there because you can't do too many line edits or then you're back at like, well, what'd you do? Do we need another rewrite here? And so, Man, that's I, I'm a rewriter. I'm a rewriter. That's how I feel the story. That's how I think it through. So, so I've given myself a lot of time on this one. Um, it's not due till May, so I'm giving myself a lot of time. We look forward to it. Well, Rachel, I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And we know thank you guys to come chat with us about this. And we look forward to your upcoming projects. Thank you guys so much. It's been super duper fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. As always, Rachel is so encouraging. And wasn't that fascinating hearing about how her book was turned into a film, screenplay adaptation. Todd and I hope that you've enjoyed this first episode in our new series, When the Arts Collide. Upcoming episodes will be about the editing process, how an audiobook reader completes his task, and book cover designers, how a book cover helps draw in the reader to your story. Thanks for joining us today, and as always, keep going forward on this writing journey one step at a time. And until next time, God bless.